to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. And that's where we're going to spend our time together this morning. Actually, I think it goes really well with the song uh, that we just sang, Emmanuel, that, that Cheryl sang, and talking about how God became like us, how he put on flesh and became like you and I, and just how incredible that really is. And it's something that I think we can easily miss and look past. So, but as you're turning in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, of course, I wanted to ask if you had an enjoyable Christmas. Did you have a good Christmas? Amen. Where, I, I know we have kids in here with us, some kids are downstairs, actually. What is, just shout out what your favorite Christmas present was. World peace. World peace. All right. Jesus came to bring peace, right? What else? What are some other Christmas presents that you got? Nothing. Wow, that's probably what you... I guess everybody was naughty this year, so... <laughs> so, well, again, I, I do want to say thank you uh, for joining us uh, this morning. And, and this is how we know that you are the committed ones, all right? So I don't know if you realize this, but we are taking a list of your names, and that's incredible. I'm just really, really moved that you're here. People who are watching online, it counts as well. So the people that aren't here, we just know. We just know. We're not holding it against you necessarily, but we know. We're aware of it. So, but as we come together and we celebrate Christmas, you know, what do you preach on the day after Christmas? What do you preach on? What do you preach on the day after Christmas? I mean, Christmas is like the Super Bowl, right, of Christianity. And there's no more important day than Christmas. And, of course, the only other day that would compare or I would say is just as important or equal to is Easter, right, is Easter. But this is like a big deal. And here we are the day after Jesus came. And, and what do we preach on after we celebrate that? And I have to be honest and say that I can remember as a kid, that no sooner was Christmas over that the countdown for next Christmas began, right? It never failed. I was in the car ride here, and I, my kids proved it perfectly for me. We're driving here, and, and one of them says, are we going to have another Christmas? Well, yes. <laughs> yes, next year we will have another Christmas. And I, I grew up in a Christian home, and it shows, so I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but I can remember as a kid, praying that Jesus wouldn't return until the next Christmas came. And I know that's super goofy, but I wanted those Christmas presents more than anything. I didn't understand as a kid, and apparently he answered my prayers, so I apologize for that this morning, because now as an adult, it's like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? So let's be honest, though. The day after Christmas can often feel empty, right? All the presents are opened. All the celebration is completed. There's dirty dishes in the sink. There's toys strewn throughout the house. And it just kind of feels empty the day after Christmas, which I think is the perfect transition into the passage that we're talking about today. So would you stand with me uh, this morning for the reading of God's word? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen? You may be seated. This is the reading of God's word. Man, I, I love this passage of scripture. I can quote it all the time, and I just, this is one of my favorite, it's hard to say, how do you have a favorite passage of scripture, right? The whole Bible, I get it, I understand. But this is one that I always come back to when I think about Christ, and I think about who he was, and I think about what he did, and the lengths that he went to to make it possible for you and I to have a relationship with the Father. When I think about what Jesus accomplished in providing for us salvation, this is the passage that I go to, and I'm always amazed by it. It never seems to not surprise me. I'm never not encouraged when I think about all that God did through his son, Jesus. And so as Pastor Tim said that this past month in the Advent season, we were in a series called A Season Forgiving, and it culminated on Christmas Eve. We had a wonderful Christmas Eve service, didn't we? It was amazing. It was so good to see many of you there, and I know many joined online as well, but it was amazing, and it culminated the, the series that we were in with the greatest gift ever given. And Pastor Tim preached on the inexpressible gift of God in the form of a child, in the form of a baby, in the form of his son, Jesus. Have you ever considered, though, what it required for that gift to be given? What it cost God in the act of becoming a man? And I'm sure that we've all considered it to some degree, right? We've all thought about it, but I'd invite you to look more closely at this passage in Philippians to discover what John MacArthur calls the theology of Christmas. That this passage is the theology of Christmas. So now I know that we again have some kids in here with us this morning, and some of them might be downstairs even now. I saw the Puglisis down there hanging out, and some might be watching online. So I want you to imagine with me, okay, that all of the excitement is building up to Christmas Day. You know, you know where your parents hid the gifts that they got you, right? You know where they're at. I have to be careful with my wording there a little bit. But you know where some of the gifts are, and then, and then you get up early in the morning and you run downstairs to see the tree, right? And under the tree, of course, is the gifts that are just waiting, tempting you to open. Like Pastor Tim, we do it one at a time in our house. I know that there are some families, the kids get up, head downstairs, and just tear into it. You know, but we drag it out through the day. You know what I mean? We make it last. We made breakfast yesterday morning, and I don't think we ate breakfast until like 10 or 10.30. The kids are just sitting there staring at their gifts, just waiting, just dying to open their gifts. And so I want you to imagine that as you're waiting to open those gifts, you tear into it. You open it up. Nothing is inside. Nothing is inside of the gift. It's empty. It's an empty gift, and that would be a terribly embarrassing moment for you, and a disappointing moment, and a sad moment. And I want you to consider what's required for then Jesus to step down from heaven, off of his throne, 
all of the glory of heaven, seated at the highest place, what it cost him to become like you and me, a person. You know, as we look at this passage, it's actually considered the humiliation of Christ, that Christ had to be humble, that he humiliated himself to the point of leaving heaven to become like you and I, which is already unfathomable. And the fact that he gave his life and that he died a criminal's death on the cross, he, it says, emptied himself, completely emptied himself. It's, it's a mystery that I think that we could talk about until Jesus returns, because it's just not something that we can really understand. The incarnation of Christ, the emptying of Christ, yet he was fully God and fully man. And it's incredible, and it's something that I just don't think our minds can wrap themselves around, that he would leave the privilege of heaven to come to our world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. That's what Jesus did. You know, and as we look at this passage and upon further inspection, I discovered that these particular verses that we're looking at this morning is actually a part of an early hymn that was sung by the church. It's really cool that this was a song that was being sung by the church and being passed around as they gathered together and they sang about what Jesus did for us in becoming like you and I and humbling himself to become a servant to the point of death, even death on a cross. But what I found so fascinating was the similarities between this song, and I never saw this before, but there's similarities between this song and the servant songs found in Isaiah. I'd encourage you to go back and read in Isaiah chapters 45, chapter 52, and 53. There's some songs in there written by the prophet Isaiah, and they're known as servant songs. And it talked about the coming of the Messiah. It talked about the Savior and how he would be a suffering servant. And I'd encourage you to go back and read about it. I find it so incredible that as we look at the servant songs in Isaiah, it's looking forward in anticipation to the coming of a savior who would be known as the suffering servant. Isaiah says that he would pour himself out. Here in Philippians, it says that he emptied himself and that he would be a servant with no form or majesty, that we should look at him, that he would become a man like you and I. Isaiah said that he would be pierced and that he would die. And here in Philippians, we see that he would be crucified, nailed to a cross, and that he would die for you and I. And ultimately, though, Isaiah says that he would be lifted up and shall be exalted and that every knee shall bow and every tongue swear allegiance. And all of this would be to the glory of God. Isaiah looks forward to the coming of the Savior. And now here we sing this song, we read this passage where Paul reflects back on the whole purpose that Jesus came, who Jesus was, and that God exalted him by giving him the name that is above all names. It says there at the end, Lord, Yahweh, that God gave the name Yahweh, his name to his son Jesus and exalted him to the highest place for the glory of God. The suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of is in fact Jesus, this baby that was born that we celebrated just yesterday. The son of God who came down from heaven 
for you and I, became like you and me. It's the same Jesus who is at this moment seated at the right hand of God in heaven, having now taken back the seat, the throne in heaven for himself, having sat on that throne where he left originally, but now he has all power and authority given to him, and we're in a second season of waiting, aren't we? We're not waiting for Christmas anymore, but we are in another advent where we are now waiting for Jesus to come again. Amen? Amen. I don't know what you think or how you feel about what, how all of that transpires, but I can guarantee you this. Jesus is coming again. And we look forward to the day where Jesus returns. And even though I was a kid and I prayed that Christmas wouldn't come because I wanted those presents, now I want the presence of Jesus. And I wanna see him face to face. And I look forward to that day. And we're waiting again for the coming of Christ. So to borrow a line from Pastor Tim, I have to say, that was all introduction. (laughs) That was all introduction, all right? But I think it helped prepare us for some of the things that I think we can, I'll just say like this, some of the gifts that we can get from this passage. So what do we see in this passage? What do we do with it? What are the gifts that we can get from this passage? What can we learn? The first thing I think that we should do is that we should consider Christ, that we should think about him, the gift that he's given us. What do I mean when I say that we should consider Christ? We already discussed some of the details in this passage about what Jesus did by stepping off his throne and becoming like you and me. Formerly, this is known as the incarnation, Jesus becoming a man, fully God and fully man. And I would ask that you would reflect on this reality as often as possible, because I think this is a reality that you and I have become all too familiar with, that God would become like us, that he would go to the length of becoming like you and me. To think that God in the form of Jesus operated within the limitations of being a human being, yet this is not to say that he was in some way limited because he wasn't. He was still fully God. He would give up the privileges of heaven and come to our world and not use the power available to him to get ahead in life, would he? Instead, he would be born into poverty as a nobody in society. To think that the God of the universe in Jesus would know what it feels like to be hungry, that he would know what it feels like to be tired, and to consider that Jesus, as a man, fully submitted himself to the will of the Father, just as you and I are called to do. This really is an incredible mystery that is too wonderful for our tiny brains to even begin to understand. Recognizing what Jesus did in becoming a man allows us to consider that he knows what it's like to be us. He is not distant or removed from the human experience. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Considering Christ and what he did in coming to our world provides comfort for us by understanding that God can relate to us in every way except for one. 
He bore the full weight of temptation, whereas you and I gave in. We don't even know what it feels like to say no to sin because we've given into it. And yet Jesus felt the full weight of temptation and never gave in. Jesus lived a sinless life, and even though he experienced the same temptations that you and I face today, we need to get into the habit of considering Christ more often, amen? The second thing I think we can learn from this passage is how to copy Christ, that we need to copy Christ. My kids love to mimic one another in the back of the van where I can't reach them. They love to copy each other and drive each other crazy. What would it look like if we could learn to be a copycat, to be like Christ, to be a little Christian, or a little Christ, a Christian, that's what that means, to be a, a little Christ, to be like him, to copy him in every way. And I think this is so helpful for us to examine Christ and consider how we might live our lives in light of the life that he lived here on earth. Once we've considered what Christ has done, we need to learn to copy him in every way. Not only did Christ come to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, but in so doing, he set an example for how we are to live our lives. We can easily get into the habit of comparing ourselves to others in this world, but if you want to compare yourself to a person, compare yourself to the person of Christ who set the bar and the standard for how you and I are to live. And even though it's not possible, he's given us his spirit so that we could be obedient to him and live for him. So what is it about Jesus's character that we need to emulate so closely? What is the one thing that you and I, I shouldn't say the one thing, I just wanna drive this home, so bear with me on this, okay? But what is, what is the one thing that you and I need to emulate so closely or, or about Christ that we should follow him in his example? His humility. His humility. Consider what God did. The lengths that he went to to humble himself, to become a person and to give his life for you and I by being completely submitted to the will of the Father. That even though he was God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But Jesus, who was a man, yet fully God, emptied himself and submitted himself to the will of God in every way. We don't do that, do we? From the very beginning of time in the garden, Satan tempted Adam and Eve saying, surely you will not die, didn't he? You'll become like God if you eat from the apple. If there's one thing that we should emulate about Christ and his character, it's his humility. We cannot help but try to play God of our lives, and yet here we see Jesus who didn't even try to do that, and yet he fully submitted himself to the will of the Father. So how far do we go? As far as we can. Jesus left heaven, submitting himself to the will of the Father to die on the cross, a criminal's death. We won't go that far, would we? Jesus went first, and now it's our turn, which is why Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So first, we must consider Christ. Then we must learn to copy Christ. And finally, we should learn to count on Christ. We can count on him. 
We can count on him. And there's two observations that I made, and I'm sure there's an infinite amount, many more that we can make. But there's two things that I saw looking at this passage that we can see biblically that we can learn to depend on Christ. First, he's coming again. We can trust and believe that Jesus is coming again. And just like we waited for his arrival for Christmas, once again, like we've already said, we wait for his return. We can count on him because his word says so, that in my father's house are many rooms, that he's gone to prepare a place for us. And if it were not so, he would not have told us. But because he humbled himself to the extent that he did, God exalted him, right? and gave him the name that is above every name, Yahweh, Lord, that he's at the highest place of authority in the universe. And we can count on him, and we can trust him, and believe that there is a day where he is coming again. We can count on him. But not only can we count on his return, but we can count on the example that he set for us. That the way of Christ following his life will result in God honoring and redeeming our lives. That if Jesus left heaven to find himself nailed to a cross and that God would redeem him and place him at the highest seat of honor, the length that Jesus went to that God, it says in, in, in Philippians, therefore God gave him the name above every name. Listen to this passage in 1 Peter. I think this helps us understand. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the, the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We can count on his return, and we can count on his redemption that he's gonna take us where he is and that we will see him face to face. So what do you preach on the day after Christmas? You preach about Jesus. You preach about Jesus because his birth is just the beginning of the story. So the, the question that remains, what did he come for? He came for you and I. So let's consider Christ together. Let's copy his example. And let's be confident that you and I can count on Christ. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you, God. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus. God, I thank you that you made a way by providing yourself, by coming to this world and living the life that we live, God, by doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, by making a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. God, I thank you for the gift of your son. And now we wait. God, we wait for his return. We wait for the day where we will see him face to face. God, help us to wait well. Let's consider Christ. Let's copy his example. And let's put our faith and our trust in him, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.